0: dr adam miller thank you so much for being here somebody in the room for two group listened to your um podcast on follow him loved it posted it there i listened to it loved it and um and so there was a the the crowd was saying we want the two of you to talk so (laughs) so thank you so let me just formally introduce you here for a second and um Gives everybody just anyone who doesn't know you a bit about who you are. So, Dr. Adam Miller is a professor of philosophy at Collin College in McKinney, Texas. He earned a BA in comparative literature from Birmingham University and an MA and PhD in philosophy from Villanova University. He's the author of more than 10 books, including Letters to a Young Mormon and Original Grace. He and his wife, Gwen, have three children, and he serves as the current director of the Mormon Theology Seminar. So just so people know, I sent Adam the last two episodes of Zach and Kelly of the, you know, of the seven, just to kind of use Zach and Kelly as a little bit of a reference point for just talking a bit about what love is and how Adam, how you think about love. Um, I, I can't tell you how happy it makes me to hear you talking about christianity and paul speaking about love in this way because it so much resonates with what my experience is in working with couples and in my own life and kind of what my understanding of god the only understanding of god that makes sense to me um and so i i love the understanding that you have of paul really trying to teach us this concept that's very hard to understand what love is when we're working from our, I mean, in my view, our younger developmental minds. Um, so maybe we could just start with the question, Adam, of how do you define love? How do you think about that question?
1: Uh, that's all we have to manage to do today. Exactly. Define love <laughs> Piece
0: of <cake>. Exactly. Easy. <laughs>
1: Piece of cake. Uh, uh, let me just say uh, at the start that uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and uh, I've followed your work for a long time and I've admired your work for a long time and uh, uh, your work I think is much, much harder than mine.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> My work in lots <laughs> of ways is, is, is very clean and it's very simple, right? It's it's me locked in a room by myself with some books and uh uh, you're out there in the world with, mm. with real people and real problems and uh, Well, I you're really doing good things that. in there
0: with your mind and your books. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, <laughs> I to do what I can in yeah. a quiet room by myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's always it's always a little bit funny, of course, to, uh, to engage, especially in these kinds of really practical conversations with, with people like you. And when I specialize in and being theoretical and not mm-hmm. not especially practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, love. I mean, I think for me the key thing uh, with respect to what God means by love uh, is the fact that for God, love is a law, not a reward. Right? Love is a commandment. In fact, it's the commandment. It's the heart of every single commandment. The The whole law can be summarized in terms of love. And all of our specific commandments, then, are just, just ways of trying to apply the question of love. And I think the key thing for me, then, with respect to the logic of that commandment, is Jesus' commandment that we have to love even our enemies. Uh right we have to return not just good for good, but we have to return good for evil. And that's what love looks like. This kind of relentless, unconditional commitment to doing what's good and giving the good that's needed, uh, regardless of what anyone does or doesn't deserve, regardless of whether they're my friend or or whether they're my enemy. Uh, And I think that puts us in a very different position. With respect to how we think about love than than how love is generally thought about in the world Uh, from a christian perspective the the basic question i'm asking when i ask about love isn't uh, isn't what is deserved but but what is needed what's the good that's needed here and now Um, and that it's my responsibility to do that uh, Mm. regardless of of what i think anyone does or doesn't deserve
0: Yeah, and whether or not you've gotten love, you know, so to speak. Whether or not it's been offered to you, as you're saying. Yeah. I like that. What's needed, not what's deserved. What's the right thing to do? And pressuring ourselves to rise up to what that is, perhaps rather than what feels good, you know. Um you know, when you love those who love you, as I think Paul says in somewhere in the scriptures, <laughs> you know that's easy, right? That's not th- what what uh, what virtue is in that, but it's loving those that don't love you in return.
1: Thinking that love is a kind of reward that you can get is is a trap. Exactly, a trap that we fall into that keeps us from finding the thing that we were looking for in the first place, because love love isn't even the kind of thing that you can get right it's the kind of thing that you can do the kind of thing that you can share the kind of thing that you can participate in uh it's a verb it's it's not a noun and if i if i treat it like a noun that i can get by uh, making myself pleasing in whatever ways are are required uh, then i've already ruled out the possibility of finding what i was looking for because it's a thing that you do Uh, yes yeah
0: Uh, Exactly. And I think that, you know, we all want unconditional love. We want that acceptance, that kindness, that compassion, that mercy, but it's very different to offer it. You know, it requires something much more of us. And I think in line with what you're saying is we have the fantasy, well, if I get love, then I will be able to love in return, but I've got to get it somehow. And I think what we're really talking about is that you know we want validation, we want approval, we want uh, control, we want reinforcement, and you know we we make those things love when what I think you're saying is it's a qualitatively different endeavor, love and as you say, it's not something you can get. It's something that you participate in or don't participate in. I was just working with a couple today that has done a lot of this trying to get love, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. from their partner, having their own covert contracts about what that should look like, and then building resentment and justification for doing the self-serving things that they do in the marriage because they aren't getting the love they feel they deserve and participating in this kind of, uh, I mean, they're playing on a playing field that doesn't even allow love, um, to be the result. And it's really about I'm doing these things to get something from you. And when you don't give it to me, Right. Then I reserve the right to not love you, to not be kind to you, not be fair to you, not do the Mm -hmm. right thing. And so, you know, we all love the idea of love, (laughs) (laughs) except when we have to actually rise up and live it. And so... So you said something like this on your follow him podcast, you said, um, there's no quicker way to end a marriage than to think that your marriage is about being loved. If you constantly ask yourself, am I being loved the way I need to be loved? Your marriage is over right now. Talk to me a little bit more about how you think about that, Adam.
1: Yeah, in some ways, in some ways, it's a grammatical. Mistake, (laughs) right? Where (laughs) people, people, of course, love anytime we can come back to the the grammar of things. Um, but anytime I'm, anytime I'm talking about love and the passive voice. Right about being loved, Mm -hmm. then the very thing that's at stake has already been, has already been cut out of the picture, right? Because love is the kind of thing that can only be talked about in, in the active voice, never in the passive. Mm -hmm. Voice. Mm-hmm. Right, I join it, I, I share it, I participate in it, but but I can't get, I can't, I can't uh, be loved in that passive way. Uh, mm-hmm. We have, as you as you said a moment ago, right? We we develop all these secret contracts with each other about uh, yeah. what criteria have to be met in order for us to earn each other's love, and I, we tend to do the same thing, I think, in and religion, where we we develop our own secret versions of mm-hmm. these contracts with God about what bars have to be cleared on His end and on our end in order for, in order for the compact of love to flow. But mm-hmm. uh, right, worthiness, and fear, and justification, mm-hmm. and um, all of that flow inevitably from from this kind of backwards uh, approach to love. Mm-hmm.
0: It's such a human way of thinking, right? I'm earning my worthiness. I'm earning my acceptability. And I mean, I think it's very human to start out this way because we're all trying to answer the question, I think, very young, like of who am I? And am I accepted? Am I enough? Am am I worthy? And it's you know a question that we have to grow in order to fully answer to fully know and understand that we're inherently worthy but i think in that question that's inherent to being human and vulnerable it's very easy to try to find ways to earn it you know like to i'm going to conquer it and i'm going to get it because it's vulnerable to desire acceptance and belonging and to feel that you can't do something to make it happen like so many of my clients like it's in their attempts to it's in their fear of being unlovable that they do all kinds of indecent things (laughs) it's like you know and trying to get someone to love them trying to extract validation and um and yet it's a question that I think we are inherently born with and can't just really know the answer to the question of our, uh, we, we can't yet fully understand love in our young developmental state because we haven't yet grown into understanding it. So, of course, some people might take what you said, you know, this, there's no quicker way to end a marriage than to think your marriage is about being loved, right? And if I'm just repeating this, but if you're constantly ask yourself, am I being loved the way I need to be loved, that your marriage is over? So, of course, a lot of people would say, well, yeah, but what if you're being abused? What if you're being mistreated? Right. Shouldn't you consider the question of am I being loved the way I should be loved? And just to reference the Zach and Kelly series for a minute, you know, one of the themes that emerged was that Kelly wanted so much to have peace in the marriage that she would compromise herself to get it right. It was easier to to doubt herself and to kind of contort herself to what she thought Zach wanted from her to avoid his anger and his distance and his invalidation. And so, you know, one could say like, you know, she is, would do well to ask the question of, am I being loved here? Like, you know, am I, being loved the way I ought to be, one would say. So what are your thoughts about that question?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think I would say the question that Kelly should ask herself is something more like, is there love here? What can I do to love here? Especially if what we mean by that question is something like, what good is needed here, right? uh enabling abuse i think is never going to be an answer to that question right Mm -hmm. enabling abuse is never going to be like the good that's needed (laughs) in this relationship right you can't positively answer that question if you're taking seriously the stakes of love yes um i think we can we can draw a useful distinction here not just between what's needed and what's deserved but between what's needed, what's deserved, and what's wanted, mm-hmm. right? I think the temptation is kind of the background assumption that we often have to, to try to uh, free ourselves from when we ask these sorts of questions. The background temptation is to think that if love isn't a conditional reward, then love must be an unconditional reward, right? Such that I would have mm-hmm. to reward unconditionally the other person with whatever they wanted, yeah, regardless of what they deserved. Um, but I'm, I'm suggesting here that it's love is neither a conditional reward nor an unconditional reward. It's not a reward period
0: at all. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, it's, it's an answer to the question about what's needed and sometimes what's needed will overlap with what's deserved or what we think is deserved. And sometimes what's needed will overlap with what other people want or don't want, um, but in lots of ways, it's it's a wholly independent question, this question about what good is needed. Uh, and it answers only to the law, not to questions about uh, rewards, conditional or unconditional.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, because in some ways, you know, what Kelly is doing looks more loving than what Zach is doing. Right, It's nicer, it's more apologetic, it's but it's also in pursuit of a validation right it's in pursuit of earning if i'm nice enough accommodating enough apologetic enough then maybe then i will get it the reward Um, and that isn't really love i mean that's not what it is to love and there's a point i don't think it was in the episodes i sent you but there's one point in which um kelly is standing up more and Zach doesn't like it. Like she's saying, she's speaking more truth into the marriage. She's not trying to get his approval at the cost of what is needed, right? And on, on the one hand, Zach resents it, he doesn't like it. He, he she was easier to um, contend with when she was in this more self-doubting, you know, validation earning position. But in another way, there there was another uh, discussion or argument that they had, and she started to go into the apology and he said, no, don't do that. Meaning it was actually more loving for her to stay in the truth because it allowed him not to indulge the worst in himself. And so even though it would invite more conflict and a part of him did not like it because he, Mm -hmm. he had to rise up and be better it was in fact much more loving to speak what is true to not be just throwing it away for the momentary validation of an old pattern and so she's bringing more truth and courage and is it is in fact more loving and um, it can be loving to leave a marriage in that sense, too, I think, is what yeah, you're saying.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's a great example, I think, right, where she refuses to give him what he wants because that's yeah. not what he needs. Uh, right. And it on, the only thing, the only act of love there is to give what's needed, not not to relent and give what he wanted.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So just going maybe more to this question of love and its relationship to truth, right? So, you know, I talk a lot on my podcast and so on about the fact that we all start out really in pursuit of validation and we like approval. We like knowing we belong. It helps us feel secure. It helps us feel safe and we can look forward in obeying the commandments or overt success, conforming to what others desire from us. And so, right. Zach learned in his family, like a way to get this validation and status is to conform to what the family likes, like be a good boy, you know, do all the things at church, be a good student. It also was, you know, earned, this validation was earned through um, not speaking truthfully about things that the family didn't want to deal with, right? It wasn't okay to have any anger around dad's indulgent way of being. It, you could get a validation by feeling sorry for dad. Um, and kind of denying. Realities that were happening and uh, similar. Lee, this was true in Kelly's family that to speak about uh you could speak in validating ways you could speak in appreciative ways you could talk about all the things that you understood as true in the church but you couldn't talk about invalidating ideas because it was experienced as as an offense in a sense as, as a puncture in a way and so um i think both of them learned that in order to you know to use the cheaper understanding of love in order to get love and to Uh, Give love. It was in a way. It had its limits on how much truth could be there, and so, um, and so. I think you wrote in your book, *The Rube Goldberg Machine*. You write, "Quote: Just as an eternal life is God's kind of life, an eternal marriage is God's kind of marriage, a marriage characterized above all by an infinite fidelity to the work of making a truth out of one's word." So please. Talk to me about that, what does that mean to you adam
1: it It sounds really philosophical, yeah uh, <laughs> good <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I think part of what's the, part of what's at stake there for me uh, is something that we kind of take for granted as as latter day saints when we talk about marriage uh and that's the way that that marriage doesn't just involve two people it involves three it involves not just me and not just my wife but it involves god right and that that kind of that kind of triangulation i think of the relationship Mm -hmm. uh is a really important a really important aspect of the of the health of the relationship right of the way that the it's not just a kind of closed system between two Mm -hmm. people attempting to please each other Mm -hmm. uh but, it's a kind of system in which we are together as as a, as a partnership, as a companionship. Uh, uh, like a partnership in which are in which we're responsible to something bigger than ourselves, something deeper than ourselves, yeah. something truer than ourselves. right. and a lot of the a lot of the intimacy of our relationship then grows out of not the fact that I'm trying to please her or she, me, but the fact that we are together uh, all in on attempting to do something bigger than either of ourselves. Mm. Right. That our that our love is itself in the service of something more than just who and what we are. It's in mm. the service of it's in the service of of what we could call truth itself or what we could call God or what we could call the you know the the unending project of of attempting to to build Zion mm. and to be a part of that here together. Um and I think that kind of that kind of outward facing aspect to the relationship where we are paired unconditionally to one another in a work that's not about either of us. uh, Mm. I think it's really crucial at the end of the day to, to generating what we mean when we say love.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's a hard task marriage. You know, I, I, my, my brother was like recently kind of complaining about, you know, I mean, in a funny way, but he was like, you know, Mm. kind of the things that, wives often want and how different it is from what husbands want and i said you know this is not an easy project <laughs> you think about it yeah men and women are attracted to each other because they're different or i mean people are attracted to each other be- largely because of differences not because of some similarities but it's the it's the things that you are not often that compel you and then you're asked to build a life together like and and work out you know, shared realities with all that difference. And, you know, I'd say our larger culture is relatively narcissistic in its focus. There's a kind of stepping away from duty and towards what will make me happy and what will give me the most pleasure and satisfaction. And I think there's some room for that focus when duty is the only way of thinking that we don't make room for our own thriving. But we can, of course, swing the other way where our own, you know, Our own interests, our own narrow satisfactions become our God in a way. So I love what you're saying, which is there's this, if we really can see marriage as um, a larger project in our own development towards creating something bigger, more beautiful. Um, You know, I said... I say something similar to this, but I like your way of saying it better. I sometimes say when you get married, you're not committing to another person. You're committing to God about who you will be relative or vis-a-vis the other person. So you're not saying I'll be with you no matter what happens, no matter what you do, you know, even if you become unworthy of that commitment. But I'm committing to, I'm making a promise to love here and to do what is needed, to use your language, to Mm -hmm. do what is best in order for our mutual thriving and um i think the more that we understand that commitment to a larger project not to you know i'm locking in somebody to love me for life no matter how immature i am (laughs) Uh. and also to understand that it's not an easy this isn't an easy path now i don't mean that people have to suffer in marriage i mean that it's going to stretch you and pressure you And either you'll take that pressure and turn it into resentment and anger that your covert contracts are not being fulfilled and, uh, you know, or like, how do I need to grow to live up to the best in me and to live up to this commandment to love? How do I grow out of my hypocrisy to want and expect love, but to not love? And um, and I think holding on to that larger picture is very very helpful to give meaning to the discomfort of it, the the suffering in it actually. So I, I love yeah. that.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think in the same kind of way that that in order for the marriage to succeed, the marriage can't be about me, right? With respect to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the case, I think, that, and this is kind of what I was after in the passage that you shared with us. I think it's also the case that in order for the marriage to succeed, the marriage can't ultimately be about the marriage. Mm-hmm. Like the marriage itself has to be yes. about something more than itself, and yes, and just just that kind of turning the marriage to face it outward rather than inward is itself liberating and, and empowering the marriage to be what God meant it to be. Where to the degree that to the degree that we tend to obsess. Uh, obsess about about the marriage itself, that can often, I think, get in the way of the very thing that the marriage needs.
0: Yeah. Let me just make sure I'm following that. So when you're obsessing about the marriage itself, like, um, in a way, are you saying that kind of what it's supposed to fulfill, what it's supposed to be for you, whether or not it's as good as you think it should be? Is that what you're saying by that? Rather than the project you're engaged in, or say if I don't know if I quite have it.
1: Yeah, I think those can those can easily be ways of just reposing a kind of slightly larger version of the originally narcissistic yeah. question, right? Uh, whereas in order for in order for the, the relationship between the two people to flourish, that relationship has to be about more than than just those two people. Uh, yes. The relationship itself has to be facing outward. The relationship itself has to be an act of love for people other than the mm. other than the relationship. Got
0: it. I love that. Which I
1: think is part of why, you know, really, in my experience at least, right? Like having had the chance to to have a family, to have children, to have our marriage be about more than just the two of us mm. uh, has been has been straightforwardly liberating in mm. that way, and has and has sealed us together in a way that. That uh, you know is is hard to replicate.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I love that. Well, and just and just how, I mean, how good marriage is for society, how good commitment and sort of social compacts are for the stability of society and for the well-being of all. You know, because these, it's not just about the couple, but more about what it's creating. What it's creating in terms of family. Um, and again, holding on to that larger project, which I think our faith can offer to us is this larger project really, really helps in kind of soothing the discomforts that come in that process of growth. You know, I laugh oftentimes I say to people, like, You come by this on meaning, nothing is going wrong. The fact that you're suffering in exactly this way right now in your marriage, (laughs) this is a, is a, um, divine summary. It's, it's a, it's breaking down because it has to break down. You know, there's. A a couple I was working with recently where, um, they're going to be on the podcast soon enough, but. You know, again, these kind of covert contracts of, I will love when I am loved in the way I want to be loved by you and it's created so much resentment because there's a desire for control and ego reinforcement. That's, you know, we're using the name of love to get to extract. And it's a system designed to fail. It needs to fail. And it's like in the failure of it that I see couples be able to kind of reflect in, in a sense because there's been enough puncture to that system that they have a real chance of actually repenting and stepping up and doing something more courageous. That that the loss of ego, the loss of self in that process is often what is needed to to step up and do something that's more fair, more decent, more loving, needed, and create something qualitatively different. And so, you know, I see in the work I do much more of a process of of faith and repentance, right? repentance mm-hmm. and then faith actually. Um of well, maybe they go together both ways, but like of the way that people are growing into higher ways of being through the losses that they're experiencing. You know, less than the successes really sometimes. And and it's really soul-stretching work, but so beautiful, too,
1: yeah, there's a kind of there's a kind of catch twenty two built into the project of sin mm. itself, where uh, I try really hard to prove that I deserve to be loved. Mm. Uh, and then I fail. And so i I suffer. I'm disappointed. Uh, I feel anger, frustration, shame. Uh, but then I read all that anger and frustration and shame and suffering I read that as a kind of punishment that mm-hmm. I deserve yeah uh, that's resulted from the fact that I failed to deserve love right uh, when really uh all that suffering is not a symptom of the fact that I've failed to deserve love it's a symptom of the fact that I was doing the wrong thing in the first place right which was trying to deserve love right Right. it's, it's a kind of uh, it's a kind of immediate uh, feedback on the fact that I'm in, the, I'm engaged the in the wrong project altogether.
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, and then yes. if I could, if I could turn it around and, and try to do the exact opposite, opposite thing, more or less, then then I would find that that feedback is uh, is actually giving me very valuable information about about what God wants from me, and it's yes. not for me to finally measure up and prove that I deserve for Him to love me. That's that, right. It's for me to give that up uh, and finally join Him in the work of unconditionally loving and giving what other people need.
0: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And as we love, we believe in love more. Like I've had people say, like, I don't believe love is real. I don't people believe that people really love. And, you know, they have often very good reasons for the cynicism, right? They come out of families where they were not really cared for. They weren't really given the support and the safety that they longed for. But it also speaks to how they live, because if one does not believe in love, right, that's because one is also not loving. They're not engaging mm-hmm. in the work of love to believe yeah. and to see. It's how real it is, and how much it it eases our our way of being in the world. It like gets it's so much better to live there, right? And I forget it all the time. I mean, I'm right back mm-hmm. into earning love and all these things, like as quick uh-huh, as anybody. Okay. Yes. But so. A similar question that I think I'm curious to know what you think about this is that, um, you know, why does it take so much courage to love to, you know, we're talking about how much truth and love go together. And, you know, really, this is connected to the issue of intimacy, right? Zach and Kelly, for example, are, are so afraid of truth, right? In their way of being in the marriage in in the past that they would maybe have an amical you know a a polite marriage a you know Mm. but really not having much truth there because they're afraid of the intimacy of it and the exposure of it and very similarly i think we are both afraid to love and we're afraid To receive love. Now, I know that's using the wrong paradigm right there, the way I'm saying it, but like, um, you know, Eric Fromm talked about in his book, The Art of Loving, that I read way, way back. So this is a loose quote, but he said something like, you know, that the the issue is not that there's too little love in the world or too few people who love. It's it's mostly in our difficulty to receive love that is there, um, to see ourselves properly so i'm asking two questions and you can go over what you want with it but why is it so why does it take so much courage to love and to let go of the ego demand and then similarly why do you think it's so difficult to accept our worthiness like to accept that we are loved to take in the the kindness that's offered to us
1: yeah Well, I think I think John I think John is right uh, when in his first epistle he suggests that the that the opposite of love is fear. That mm-hmm. the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is fear. Such that such that at root love is a kind of it's a kind of fearlessness. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of fearlessness that I think is required by by the very nature of of life itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a kind of we have a kind of fantasy that we could make it out of life alive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> that,
1: right? That we could <laughs> that we could get what we wanted. That we could be satisfied. That we could escape death and loss and pain and suffering. Um, but that's not that's not the case. Uh, even even under the very best possible circumstances, I. I'm going to to get sick and grow old and die, and the people I love will die and and I will either slowly or quickly lose everyone and everything mm-hmm. and if I hold on to the fantasy that that somehow uh I could beat the odds and and avoid all all of this loss then uh then I'll be left not only with the loss but all of the shame and fear and frustration that comes from trying to do something that cannot be done mm-hmm. whereas on on the other hand as, as Jesus demonstrates right the only possible path forward uh, is through that loss not around it and the only possible path forward is for me to to continually transfigure all of that loss into willing sacrifice right willing yeah. sacrifice that takes the form of of love that takes the form of uh, of transforming those losses into gifts, uh, to giving mm. other people what they need oh, it's... in the face of my own inevitable, my own inevitable failing and frailty, mm. and I think really that's in lots of places that's what's at stake in in intimacy, maybe in a, in a very a very especially pointed way in in a marriage, right where where sexual mm. intimacy is the time and the place where it's least possible to pretend. Mm. Uh, that we aren't frail, that we aren't sick, that we aren't getting old, that we aren't dying, that we aren't at the mercy uh, of passions uh, that we can hardly control and don't hardly understand. Mm. Uh, but that it is possible in the midst of all of those things to to nonetheless share with each other uh, the intimacy of being in that, right? Mm. Of being yes. in our lives as they pass away, of, of sharing the mystery uh, rather than rather than eradicating it, and in lots of ways, that's mm-hmm. that's that's religion also, in a nutshell, right? And I think that's that's what Jesus continually demonstrates, and that's that's what on the you know minute by minute, hour by hour basis is also what's at stake in our relationships with each other. Mm.
0: So nice. I mean, right. Can I just say what I hear you saying and then? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the fear is, well, in a way, it's it's, it's the fear of, of the honesty of how vulnerable we all really are. You know, life is just, uh, we want control. We want the fantasy of it. We want the fantasy of earning approval, validation. Um, because if we can earn the love, well, then we have some control over it, it seems. And mm-hmm. we don't actually have to be so open hearted to what we can't control.
1: Um, And if, if I could earn it, then I'm demonstrating that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm different. I'm better. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm not, I'm not subject to those same losses and forces yes. and. Uh, it's possible for me to be satisfied, even if even if other people aren't.
0: Right, exactly. Right, love, just, love,
1: in lots of ways, is, is grounded in my willingness to accept the fact that I am not and will not going to be satisfied, and that love is something other than that altogether.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Something yeah, better than is, that.
1: The good news, right? The good news is that it's something much better than that fantasy of satisfaction. But the bad yeah. news is that it's not satisfaction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want it. Yeah. Right. Well, there, there's something, it's rich and it's sweet and it's beautiful, but it's also loss is in it and yeah. suffering is in it too. It's, uh, um, I think, um, I suddenly can't say the theologian's name, but he talks about it as a dark brightness. I think this, uh, What can I say his name? Give me a second. Um, it'll come to me in a minute, but, yeah. you know, that, that, the, the kind of, um, I love the idea of intimacy. It's like, you know, you and I, husband and wife are so vulnerable on this planet we there's no guarantees you could be gone tomorrow we're losing our parents you know we have worries about things we can't really control or change but here we are together in this vulnerable world caring for one another friends intimate friends walking this path together i mean it's it's so Challenging in moments, and yet so incredibly rich. Like to really share that, as you said, Adam, like something you can't really replicate. Like to have walked a path together with someone, sharing the vulnerabilities. That's really so much what intimacy is. Is Christy, our assistant, just recently shared a poem by David White uh, about friendship. And I love that one of the things he talks about is friendship is so much more about sharing in one another's vulnerabilities Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and in loss and what we can't control and forgiving and being forgiven so much more than about our triumphs and our successes. And when we forget that how much we really need each other because we happen to have a momentary triumph, right? But like how much it is in sharing in that knowing and being known, and uh, how much that's not about controlling it's just the courage to show up and be honest and real and to care and let yourself be cared for but i think it's you know sometimes in a, when i teach my art of desire uh, course which is a, a women's self and sexual development course i'll ask you know how many in this room would rather give than receive, you know, and how many would rather receive than give? Well, everybody would rather give. (laughs) And it's not because we're so (laughs) generous. Okay. (laughs) Uh
1: Uh
0: It's because we want the control of being the one that's Mm -hmm. strong enough to be the one giving, you know, I'm the one who can do something for you. And so I don't have to be open to the vulnerability of actually needing care or being in a position that I'm vulnerable and I cannot solve it or do it on my own. And it's our refusal, I think, to acknowledge that that makes us suffer even more, as you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a, there's a saying of the Buddha that I especially love, where uh, the Buddha, in his uh, in his typically laconic style, says, uh, "Some people don't understand that we're perishing here. Mm-hmm. Right? We're we're understanding that we're perishing here is." Is the condition of possibility for for love and intimacy in in the first place? That's so true. We, we share it together in in this failing. Uh, there's also yes. there's a beautiful <laughs> there's a beautiful uh, Elizabeth Bishop poem uh, where she talks about the uh, uh, the art of losing, mm-hmm. which I think is is another nice description of of what love actually looks like. It's it's turning loss into art.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? It's turning. Uh turning loss into intentional loving sacrifice. Um uh, mm. it's not the gospel's not about about winning, I don't think. It's it's about learning how to lose in the way that redeems what's lost. Mm.
0: Wow. It just makes me a little emotional. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Sure, yeah. No. Yeah.
0: Hmm. loss is tough huh (laughs) but love is really the antidote if there is such a it's not quite the right way to say it but it's like it's the it's the balm you know yeah okay um So let, I just want to talk a little bit about maybe intimacy and spirituality, which I think we're pointing towards, of course. But mm-hmm. um, in the Facebook discussion group that's connected with um, Room for Two, the podcast, one of the group members, Hillary Reimers, she wrote this just in a comment uh, in a discussion about Zach and, and Kelly. She says, to be deeply witnessed and to deeply witness another is the heart of divinity. It seems so simple, but takes so much courage. And so I love what she wrote, like this, the heart of divinity, right? It speaks to the spirituality of intimacy, the spirituality of intimate sex, right? Sometimes when people think, I'm writing a book right now on, on the, on spirituality and sexuality and how they are very, very connected. And in our younger minds, we think they are worlds apart, right? Sexuality is Satan and spirituality is good and God and, and the two, you know, the further you keep them apart, the better. Um, but this, you know, this idea that to deeply witness and deeply be witnessed, right? So oh, she says, I'll say it better. She says to be deeply witnessed and to deeply witness another is the heart of divinity, right? And again, how much courage it takes. Um, so, you know, I you wrote i think in uh, let's see in the book you the sun has burned my skin which is a you write a modest paraphrase of solomon's song of songs <laughs> you write i loved it i read it with my Thank husband. You. Thank sex you. unmasks us it unmath sorry it unmakes us it shows us to one another and to ourselves a paper as paper-thin fictions as vulnerable bodies as intimate strangers as unfinished things. I'm gonna read it one more time to be fair to it. Sex unmasks us, it unmakes us. It shows us to one another and to ourselves as paper-thin fictions, as vulnerable bodies, as intimate strangers, as unfinished things. And uh, so maybe this is why we avoid intimate sex. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I know a lot of people who wanna have sex, they see sex as something, a validation to get right? Uh-huh. A validation to pursue. Lots mm-hmm. of people who are the higher desire partners in their marriage who say, I am i don't have the anxieties about sex that my lower desire spouse has. And, um, th- you know, they tell themselves they don't have anxieties about intimacy, but what they don't have anxiety about is trying to extract validation, right? Trying to get <laughs> love, <That's> right? Shameless. <laughs> <laughs> and much less about really willing to show up and to tolerate the exposure of it. You know, I was working with a client where um, he is always the one in pursuit and always in this kind of critique of his wife, you know, that why don't you want it so much? And Well, of course, part of the reason she didn't want it is because there was always a critique about that she wasn't doing it. She The view in the marriage was she had the sexual anxieties and she wasn't, loving enough, and he had it together and was waiting for her to catch up. And so it was a tough thing to want to go towards, certainly didn't make her feel arousal. And, um, you know, in working with him, I suggested uh, that he look a little more at the way that he actually touched his wife and initiated. The meaning that he was bringing was one of critique and expectation, but also the way he touched her was about, can, can I get you to open up to me can i get you to want me which is again the question of am i loved and and um you know will you accept me not i love you and i value you and i cherish you and so he took this challenge seriously and one night you know when he he i think made an initiation of scum and she said no i'm not i don't think so but rather than pout, turn around and all that, he just thought, you know, I'm just going to touch her because I love this person and she means so much to me. And I actually feel unworthy of her. We've done some work individually. And he um started to just touch her like out of his own care and love and letting himself value her in the way he was with her and and not to get something, but to honestly offer his heart and a more intimate view of himself. Well, what happened is she wanted sex and she also orgasmed which she often did not do because she'd feel all this pressure and expectation and so on and so um so he was amazed right that this was that she was open to him and but what was also striking is he he became he felt so insecure he said he said he never he he felt so insecure with her that here she was actually responsive but he felt naked in sex (laughs) and naked Mm -hmm. emotionally, of course, and that he wanted to go back to the critique uh, because it felt a lot safer there. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's interesting like how we can engage in something as intimate as as sex and what we sometimes say is the most intimate thing people can do, but we can be really good at making sure it's not very intimate. (laughs) We can be good at, you know, limiting the exposure by being the disgruntled one. Zach certainly was doing this, like the one that, you know, was unhappy with what Kelly was producing and keeping the focus on her and off of himself. Right. And so, yeah, it's to show up naked in the truest sense is a real act of courage, I think. So do you have thoughts beyond what you've said, just just about the spirituality of intimate sex, and any more you would say about that,
1: yeah, i don't I don't know I don't know what I would add. I think that's I think that's a great example. The example you just gave it's in many ways, what's what's at stake here is always a sort of discipline of of honesty mm-hmm. right and and a sharing of. Of honesty where we're at the heart of of the truth is always going to be right our our failure to get what we wanted and to be what we wanted and mm-hmm. uh and then hopefully the discovery that 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 wasn't what mattered anyway mm-hmm. right you have to you have to pass through that portal of disappointment to, to discover that you're the thing that you were disappointed about was the wrong thing anyway. Mm-hmm
0: yeah it's the real beauty and getting older is in some ways like all those all those structures built on sand start crumbling (laughs) and you know you start finding out what really matters and I mean only start maybe finding out but it's easier to be it gets easier to be honest and unapologetic at the same time and cherishing i think um you know so many people actually talk about the most intimate sex they've had or is often on the heels of loss losing a parent you know someone in the community dying and they recognize the preciousness of life the preciousness of the moment the preciousness of the other (laughs) and again you know as the buddha says like it's i sometimes live with the mantra of we're all gonna die.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna
0: die. And I have right now I have this moment and I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I can just take right now what I have and cherish it and be grateful for it and to live it well. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm emotional. <laughs> but you know, I think that's um life so beautiful and so <laughs> I would design a better one. <laughs> it doesn't have loss. Okay.
1: That's oh, all, it's all part of the same package, right? As Jesus delivers it in the Sermon on the Mount. As soon as Jesus gets done saying that, that we have to love even our enemies the same way that God does. Uh, the next thing he turns to is the fact that uh, that means living like the lilies of the field uh, who are beautiful, but, uh, Right as the Psalms remind us, are uh, uh, they don't last. <laughs> they that's don't right. last, and you can't. You have to uh, uh, leave tomorrow's troubles to tomorrow, and that's that's what it looks like to to live and love and to find ourselves capable of of loving our enemies is to stop. You know, to stop keeping the books in mm-hmm. terms of winning or losing or getting or not getting, or um, and something else can happen.
0: Well, and also, you know, in terms of loving your enemies, like sometimes I say to myself, I don't know what I would be doing if I were in that person's shoes, their experience, their body. I might be doing worse things, you know, I I don't know. And to condemn them or to feel like it's my job to make them pay for, I mean, again, it takes courage because it's so instinctive to want to do that. But to have the humility of kind of seeing how we're all connected and how, we're all in this imperfect experience. And I think forgiving others allows us to also forgive ourselves, not towards indulgence, but accepting the human project that we're all in and being compassionate towards ourselves and others in that project. So yeah, I, I loved what you talked about on the um on the follow him podcast about judge not that you be not judged and yeah, I used to always hear that as like, well, whatever you did, then God's going to use that against you <laughs> to punish you for, you know, taking on his job, you know, uh, where I love the idea that, yeah, the, the meaning in which you engage in the world is it's the same. It's the same rules that you're going to apply to yourself. And that's what's so beautiful about stepping into love and really loving is that it's an easier world. It's a kinder world. It's a world that you can be human and matter. And um, and so we really create suffering when we stay in that conditionality, even though it feels safer.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I know we're out of time, but I feel like I should just see if there's and Christy, I don't know if you've been following the questions to see if there's any that are are um, are um, worth. Worth. I don't mean to say like that. So any other questions there, Chrissy? That you think would be good for us to address? Who
1: who deserves to have their question answered?
0: Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying not to judge the questions
1: right now. <laughs> which ones? Which ones needed? Yes, exactly. Answer.
0: Which ones needed? There we go. Let's see. How do we apply the question of what is needed to self love? Mm. I'm gonna take a whack at that, Adam to love to love oneself more right i imagine so many people have grown up in environments well first of all i think it's it is its own challenging task to really see ourselves properly to really see ourselves the way god sees us yeah and um i think made more challenging if we grow up and our parents are not able to reflect that divine love to us um those that are fortunate enough to have that, I probably have an easier time comprehending God's love and the reality of it. But do you have thoughts about those who say, I want to feel worthy, but I struggle to have that clarity?
1: Yeah, and in, in, in my experience, the, the clarity the clarity tends to come not from successfully answering that question but letting that question go mm. just not not asking <laughs> that mm-hmm. question uh letting that question be something that becomes irrelevant to, to the real work mm. that's at hand it it is as you as you said a moment ago it's the kind of it's the kind of work of a lifetime just to begin to understand ourselves mm. who I am, what I am, have some feel for why I do what I do and what actually constitutes the substance of me versus what's the kind of paper thin fiction that I've been I've been trying to dupe myself with for for decades. Mm. In lots of ways we we are at least as strange to ourselves as other people are to us. Yes. And to develop that capacity to love strangers who we don't know, who maybe even present as enemies, Mm -hmm. those are the same skills that apply to loving myself, given that I am in many ways a stranger to myself and in many ways an enemy to myself. Yes. Yes. to ask myself what would what what's involved here what's what's needed for me to love myself given that i'm often my own my own enemy that's uh that's well, a form it, of the question
0: and it, as going back to it's a it's an action word love and so sometimes i say love is something we do more than something we feel towards ourselves mm-hmm. like yeah. what is needed what is kind what is what is right for me I think also, you know, this judge not that you be not judged, you know, if we're operating in a meaning of earning and do I deserve and do you deserve and it's going to. The question stays alive. Then, Um, and what I think you're saying is if you grow out of the question towards what is needing needed, what is loving towards myself, what is loving towards others, what is needed well. The question just becomes less important because you're not needing to prove something in the same way it's like of course i'm human and frail and imperfect and again not as an indulgent kind of meaning but more that we all matter in this project and and we're all imperfect in it but but i am one with everyone else and we're all deeply imperfect and worthy together and uh yeah it's like relief from the ego suffering of just answering your own question but rather we're all in this together
1: it it Mm. tastes like real freedom right it tastes like real liberation for that question to simply fall away um the truth will set you free jesus said uh, yes. and the truth is that god god never ever asked me never ever commanded me to turn myself into someone perfectly lovable right he only ever asked me to join him in the work of loving everyone and everything just as it is
0: right yeah well adam thank you so much i've loved the conversation and it's just i i love your words they're beautiful they're truthful they're touching and and they're hopeful you know they they clarify i think what we all can be about and what we can all keep reaching towards so yeah it's uh it's a beautiful project and i'm really thankful for the work you're doing on with the beautiful theology we have and how we can understand it in these lower level ways that are understandable that we do it but then we we fail to see the beauty that's there and the freedom that there you know we talk about the truth setting us free and joy and but none of us really believe it <laughs> <laughs> you know joys for like the next life but right yeah <laughs> And joy is not the freedom from suffering. Joy is finding beauty in the suffering. So I think um, it's all there for us to keep striving towards. So, so thank you, everybody, and thank thank you for being here. And and Adam, I mean, I hope someday maybe you'll join us again. I, I can hope. Um, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Well, it was a pleasure to be with you. You you keep up the good work.
0: Thank you.